my vision ended by a war with tremendous feeling of optimism and confidence in you and your future. That was my vision of you. You? I'm so glad to had this opportunity to share it. Your father never lost faith in you. Diane, it's 9.24 p.m. Welcome to another episode of Twin Peaks Peaks. My name is Ashley Brandt. My name is Matthew Olson. Hi, we're here to talk about part nine after that little two-week hiatus. And I just this moment uploaded the Secret Diary episode that we recorded to fill that gap. So check that out if you haven't. But we're going to talk about some Detective Brothers and some Bookhouse Boys including our sweet boy, Bobby Briggs. Some plot. Some plot in this episode. Some serious, serious plot. Yeah, My boy, Mark Frost, worked real hard on these storyboards. You could feel it in every FBI scene. Uh, <laughs> let's start, I mean, as we have been, we'll, we'll take it place by place, and I figure we should start in Nevada. Big, big ticket items. We've got Ike the Spike getting arrested mm-hmm. we've got the fuscos doing some uh, grade a detective work some sheriff department detective work you know at first i couldn't tell whether or not i was into the fuscos in this episode but you spend a bunch of time with them and they kind of have the one the one bit which is uh the one brother played by eric edelstein finally just like cracking and laughing but I don't know if it was like a repeat it as many times as you need to until it starts to be really funny kind of situation. But I ended up like I, I like these three characters. Um, interestingly, the music cue uh, that's played when they're arresting Ike is Deer Meadow Chef. Uh, it's from Fire Walk With Me, but I got to give it to David Kettner's brother who wisely takes Dougie's prints. Uh, so now like the real Dale is associated with uh, his own fingerprints, which is going to enter into some database. That's how we got onto the whole Briggs and Briggs's body thing. So this is a positive step forward. The key thing is they discovered that there are no records on Dougie until 1997. We can presume as viewers that this is about the time when uh, Bad Coop created Dougie for the Fusco's, this brings up another question about where this identity came from and that's why they decide to get the fingerprints in the dna yeah yeah i i was so worried for a moment that it was going to be brushed off because one of the brothers goes witness protection and i was like is this another instance of like cooper as dougie getting lucky and and avoiding suspicion or avoiding having that confrontation about why he's acting so strange we also get that information where apparently Dougie was like the cover is that Dougie was in a car accident and that he has these periodic moments where he sort of spaces out. That's provided by Bushnell Mullins, who also makes an appearance here kind of on Dougie's behalf as a witness. And uh, he he's like upset at these detectives, too. You see that like boxer spirit come out of him mm-hmm. as he's clenching his fist. I really like how much uh, Bushnell has actually sort of been an active participant in the Dougie storyline. But luckily, no, the, the detectives make that call right before they arrest Ike in a scene that I thought was really funny. I love how much Ike's cast just looks like a big old oven mitt. <laughs> they do say we have your palm print. We have your whole palm. Yeah, I was I was I was I mean, that that, that line was an obvious setup, but I, I still got a kick out of it. Um, and they're talking about the taillight like they're they're three weird. There, There's that word weird, right? They don't fit in the mold of like the Twin Peaks detectives or the Buckhorn Police Department or the Deer Meadow Police Department or even like I don't even know if they feel like they're out of another Lynch film to me, but they're just like the three Stooges detectives. Yeah. Uh, And 
that's that's fun to watch. It kind of feels like a like a Mike Shore joke. Mm. Totally, kind of like a Parks and Rec thing. Feels like a Brooklyn Nine Nine thing, but maybe because they're detectives. Am I wrong? Is 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 sure on Brooklyn Nine Nine, but not Parks? He, oh no, he's both. Okay, but okay. he I think is just credited as like a story creator or like whatever on um on Brooklyn Nine Nine. Okay, okay. It's so much procedural this episode. Like we've got these detectives, we've got the Bookhouse Boys, we've got the FBI. Like three investigations coming close but not there yet much closer like this is the halfway point right yeah but it almost makes me realize how far away they were to begin with so fucking far like to i guess we, we we should mention what else happens in nevada right like i guess rather we'll say sort of concurrent with the Nevada stuff with the rest of the stuff really there's Cooper's doppelganger which is happening out in South Dakota the doppelganger is fine he's walking he still seems evil some people suspected that maybe like Cooper's consciousness would jump into the doppelganger's body after he got shot absolutely not he's got his plan underway because he meets up with uh, Hutch and Chantal that is happening such that we know that in Nevada uh, the man who Patrick Fischler's character uh, referred to way back in like part one or two uh, that he's working for, that is in fact Cooper's doppelganger. He gets the call. Cooper's doppelganger is not happy that Patrick Fischler did not seal the deal with uh, Ike the Spike. And n- it's also, I think, heavily implied that if uh, I, I don't want to keep calling him Fischler, what's his character's name again? Uh, Mr. Todd. Mr. Todd. If Mr. Todd can't seal the deal, it's pretty clear that the doppelganger is going to send an assassin after him as well. Uh, namely Tim I mean, Roth's character, Hutch. That's yeah. his MO. So kill every loose end. Yeah. I do like that. Doppelcoop turns up at a farm occupied by uh, Tarantino collaborators. I actually haven't seen Tim Roth in that much stuff, but he's great here. If you don't know Tim Roth from Reservoir Dogs, what do you know him from? I can't remember if I've seen Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs. Sorry. All the way through. I can't remember. What in the world? That is on Netflix. All right. You can watch that at your leisure. I still, in the near future, I'm still supposed to watch Dune. I don't know if you're still I mean, down, I haven't seen, I, I'm down to watch Dune. I've got a long list of movies and Reservoir Dogs. It'll be there. It'll be there. It's it, That should be at the top. <laughs> okay. Anyway, this is not a Reservoir Dogs podcast. This is a Twin Peaks podcast. No. In the other investigations, they all pull much closer together. Like, namely, I'd say what this episode does and kind of belabors the point on in a, in a big expository way is bringing the Briggs stuff closer to the Dougie Cooper stuff such that we're setting up the inevitable collision of these things. What that's going to play out as, though, we still don't have m- much of an idea, like... Who's going to go where first in terms of moving these actors closer together, right? Doesn't it seem like we they all are going to the same destination? In terms of the the destination we receive, like the coordinates we receive or the place, I guess. But I still don't see how Cooper as Dougie gets there, right? Cooper is going to get brought in on those prints, presumably, that he has. You know, his real ass prints that are now linked to his doppelganger. But... As for the the link to Dougie, right, that's closest with the FBI now, now that they have possession of the ring and they know it's associated with Briggs. Yeah. Yeah. The FBI so, is very close to Dougie. So close. Tantalizingly close. Yeah. Um, we can't not talk about the sort of Dougie moment we have here in this episode, though. The, the moment that I think is now something a lot of viewers are accustomed to where you get this tease of like, is Cooper going to have like a little wake up moment here? And then absolutely not. I mean, obviously Dale Cooper loves America. Do you read special significance into those red shoes? Cause some people are theorizing that yeah. it refers to a specific character, but I don't know if they would actually set up a thing like this, but the shoes thing keeps coming up throughout this uh throughout this like new series if they were drawing a parallel between those red shoes and the iconic 
red pumps that are associated with Audrey. I feel like that would be too satisfying for the viewer. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah, they, a little too on the nose. They, they steered away from that relationship, probably for the right slash the wrong reasons, but I don't think they're going back, is what I'm saying. It's that instance of uh, of actual, like, Donna drama spilling out into real life, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and like, the show's never been about fan service. I don't know if, like, Lynch is just... Maybe he's revisiting this now that they don't have someone dating Kyle MacLachlan, like, throwing up that roadblock. I don't know. Maybe. But we do see Janie E. wearing some cute red flats. She's mm-hmm. got a very cute pink outfit on. I was very into it. Um, Diane pulling another look, very different look, also wearing red flats. I'm going to say Diane look of the episode. I, I agree, think. but, like, I love the pink on Janie. Yeah, I mean, pink just works really well on Naomi Watts. But Diane is, you know, got got like a wild closet. And I'm glad that in contrast to Gordon Albert's suits and Tammy's like uniform as well. uh, Diane is keeping it fresh. Truly. Yeah. She's making up a lot of ground from the first eight episodes where we were not seeing so many looks. Not seeing her at all. She's making up a lot of ground and looks territory from not having been in the original series at all. Yeah. Like. Now in the level, I think, already of competing with some of the, like, the mid-tier Audrey looks. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Uh, and this is all incredibly important to talk about, of course. <laughs> no, I mean, looks are a central part of this show. I mean, if we don't spend time on that, we're spending a lot of time this episode on exposition, which some of which, like, almost is like a little fan servicey. Like, it's my favorite thread of the episode, namely what we learn about uh, Bobby's relationship to how... This is seeming like it's going to play out, but also it's almost a little too perfect, you know, considering like how fans, particularly us, uh, (laughs) have these hopes and dreams for Bobby. And he's now like getting drawn closer to the Twin Peaks side, which is, of course, like everyone's like, I I, I think it's fair to say everyone's side that they're most rooting for in this investigation and in terms of bringing Cooper as we know him back. Bobby didn't need to be a big part of that, but because of his relationship to Major Briggs, he is. And that makes us feel great, but it's like, it's almost got like too much of a bow on it. I mean, genuine question. Are there fans who aren't us who are as invested in Bobby Briggs? I I really feel like there might not be. I think there are people who are very excited about Bobby. There are still some people who think Bobby just emotes too much. Which is like I <laughs> missing slander. the point of this sweet, sweet boy. <laughs> After we yeah. just did the Secret Diary episode and we learned more about the tender side of Bobby, it's just like I am so happy to see this much Dana. Uh, and, not, also, and not like he was just crying. He was just choked up at points. Yeah. Dana, turn it up several notches if you so feel it. like you can pull it off. You, you can, can carry that. that soap opera weight. Mm-hmm. People who think Bobby's a dirty cop. No, absolutely my, not. It's gone. my sweet boy <laughs> out of the is question. just here to remember his father. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so, so let, let's sidle on over to Twin Peaks then. I mean, we check in with a bunch of characters. We, we mainly spend time with uh, some characters in the sheriff's department. But maybe let's talk about the presence of the horns in this episode first. Which horn do you want to start with? Well, let's let's start with our boy, Jerry, (laughs) (laughs) our other sweet boy who is now getting I think this is uh, the first solo scene carried by Jerry Horn in the entire series, if I'm not mistaken. I think you're right. And I mean, he's David Patrick Kelly is carrying it, but Jerry is not carrying much. He is having a real hard time out in that forest. There are people theorizing that Jerry's strife in the forest is going to like connect to like the larger mystery here. And while that would be kind of fun, I would also just be totally down for like, especially in the midst of we're getting this episode after part eight, which was so beyond the veil of what we've come to expect. And then this is like the most uh, Mark Frosty exposition episode. So having scenes like 
Jerry's or like Andy and Lucy's peppered in that don't need to have a grander significance are great. And I would love if there was just this Jerry subplot with David Patrick Kelly where he just got high in the forest and it means nothing. <laughs> but his foot does talk to him in a voice that's not his. And that's what makes me think we got something else. like this again reminds me of Philip Gerard and the arm working against like the person attached to the arm. I'll say this. I'm not opposed to a reading of the scene where it's an interaction between Jerry being high out of his gourd and he's in the forest and there's some kind of force that's messing with him. Um, But I would also be totally fine with having that as a potential reading, but having it not be like plot significant. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we we know he's high. That's not a question. He's been like missing for a day now. If I think if we're following time correctly, he's been in the forest for like a full day. But Ben is not concerned. (laughs) Ben is investigating the mystery humming sound and coming to grips with his skeeziness or perhaps lack thereof. We're not sure. I'm not convinced entirely yet just because he said no once. Yeah, this is not like tracksuit Ben. But this is also not Ben who runs the perfume counter at Horn's department store, you know? Yeah. Though, this is a believable middle ground. <laughs> wouldn't it be great if we saw Richard Bamer now? And I think he looks pretty good now, but I would love to see him in that Fila track suit again. Beverly seems like after the the bullshit that her, her ailing husband Tom has pulled on her is like more into drifting closer to Ben. But yeah, Ben puts up that wall and says like, oh, I'm... I don't think I can do this. Um, I'm just excited that we got this much like Ben and Jerry, honestly, between the two of them. I did not expect them to have like plot threads. I expected, if anything, that they would be like the ideal cameo characters at this point, considering that. Really? I thought we would be getting more Ben. I mean, considering that we don't have Audrey yet, and that would be like the... Like, we expected Audrey. <laughs> we had plenty of Ben storylines or, like, Ben screen time without Audrey. Maybe most of that was Civil War reenactment, but still. Audrey was fairly in the circle of that, too. Like, she she you put on correct, the whole yes. Southern Belle outfit. Like, we're at now halfway in and we don't have Audrey. So for Ben to have, like, this basically solo storyline is, is, is surprising. But at the same time... Does his rejection of Beverly come after the death of his son? I I, I thought I saw Johnny Horn breathing, but okay, that <laughs> I I thought I saw a slight motion, but again, I haven't like I haven't reviewed the footage. I haven't frame by frame. <laughs> yeah, I I was completely taken aback by this you know sudden injection of Johnny and also Sylvia, who's had as few if not fewer appearances as Johnny remember how jarring it is when she pops up at the end yes. of uh, season two yeah so so Jan Darcy's back uh, but they've got a different actor playing Johnny for this scene where Johnny slams his head and I will say this I'll say this for the evidence towards Johnny Horn being perhaps gravely injured but not dead think about another horn who had a really serious looking head injury who's apparently just fine (laughs) okay but i was also gonna say there is apparently a deleted scene entitled something about johnny which reveals that the origin of johnny's condition is apparently that audrey pushed him down the stairs when they were children oh jesus are we taking that as canon maybe i don't i mean that's bad i feel like if the story they're foisting on this disabled character is one of like sibling abuse and then lack of screen time and then killed on screen or some kind of like cartoon scenario where he gets hit on the head and now he has different cognitive functions like that's i would absolutely hate that latter option like more so yeah I, I, i don't really see that happening in season three but i could see something that bad happening in late season two this could be a way for them to bring Audrey into the storyline. Like if Johnny's dead and there's a funeral, then like Audrey's presence could sort of be like summoned that way. But I feel like now that we're halfway in and we don't have Audrey and it's a conspicuous absence that they've drawn attention to, like I'm almost on guard for like an entire where, where the hell has Audrey been episode, an episode maybe mostly following her at this point, because We've seen now literally every other horn but Audrey. So yeah. it's it's 
intentionally this space they've carved out and i really wonder how they're going to fill it and i hope it's not at the expense of like further we talked about this just when we did the secret uh diary episode like further using johnny as a pawn to like advance the story or to like uh add to other people's characters without existing as a character himself yeah have you considered that audrey might still be in a coma I have, but I think that that would be really fucking disappointing. I don't, I don't. That would be incredibly soap opera. It'd be incredibly soap opera. And I would say this is like the soapiest episode we've had yet. Um, so it's not like they're not still playing in that space, but I, I, I don't have any kind of theory or, or intuition as to how they would play with that. So. I'm just, I guess, hoping not because I would like Sherilyn Fenn in whatever little screen time she has left in this back half of the season, or maybe a lot, to be like an active participant still. I don't think you set up Audrey this much and then the reveal is, hey, you still don't really get Audrey, right? No, I feel like if they play it that she's been in a coma this whole time, then she would come out of the coma. I don't think they would put her in a coma and leave her in the coma after she's already been, or for the duration of the series. I guess it would also still be disappointing in that then she's been doing nothing for 25 years. Like there, there are certainly possibilities you could have with that storyline. I guess if you're asking me what I hope it is, I just hope it's not that because I don't know how you stitch that kind of storyline into the, you know, like tapestry they've already weaved up till this point. Like we're halfway through the runtime. I mean, I agree. It could be disappointing. It's just a feeling I have at this point. It's very likely that, Audrey will have less screen time than Jerry, which is wild. We'll see. I mean, I hope that's not the case, and I hope she's fully cognizant when we do see her. They could still recast Donna at this point and give Donna more screen time than Audrey. Think about it. Yikes. James has had one scene, and that's more screen time than Audrey. Wow. You just put that really into perspective there. So, yeah, I want I want her to be I want her to still be the, the mystery billionaire. I'm still holding out hope for that. She could be. She could be. Those are all the horns. I mean, we kind of glossed over Chad eating creamed corn in the conference room. Yeah, well, this this comes after the visit with Betty Briggs. Yes. So we, we join uh, our bookhouse boys, Sheriff Truman 2.0 and Hawk and Bobby Briggs because of Look, if you're going to go talk to Betty Briggs, you might as well bring your co-worker who is her son. Uh, <laughs> and it's so sweet because Garland Briggs predicted this would happen, although he did not specify which Sheriff Truman would be there. Yeah. I mean, this is what I was talking about in terms of like fan servicey, right? Like that's one of my favorite scenes from the original run is the scene between uh, Major Briggs and Bobby and Briggs describing his his dream and and, and seeing his son like with everything having turned out all right. And it's kind of reiterated, echoed through the scene with Betty. Um, And it's also really great to see Charlotte Stewart, who I think might be the earliest Lynch collaborator, like featured in the series thus far. Uh, She plays Mary X in Eraserhead. And now Dana and Charlotte kind of have to carry forward this uh, major Briggs storyline that seems to be, uh, as we talked about with Brendan in our episode on part eight, kind of carried forward from their original season three plans. And I think they're doing it in a really sweet way and it's a really nice scene, but also it's still kind of like, I guess just as a Bobby fan, like it's almost too good to be true. Like maybe I've, if there's another shoe to drop, like maybe it's that Bobby and Shelly are splits. That's definitely possible. I don't know. Just let something good happen to Bobby Bray. I think I think this is something good happening to Bobby Briggs, but I wonder if he paid a price for it in the past. He is loving every second of this investigation. It all ties back to these special memories he has with his dad. Mm-hmm. Like this whole little treasure hunt was completely catered to this father son relationship. And it was about the bunny because he he mentions uh, that he's the one who came up with Jackrabbit. Uh, is it Jackrabbit? Jackrabbit Palace. Palace. Yeah. And uh, so bunnies factored into it. Sure enough. Thank God, like the heritage hint didn't end up veering off towards Johnny Horn wearing a uh, Native American oh, headdress. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, it's it, it's great to get this much Dana and and also Bobby having this information that uh, Truman and Hawk aren't privy to, like Bobby knowing how to open that capsule. And then I love them kicking Chad out of that room. Like now we're talking about Chad and like the long it's it's like the sweeping scene, the long process of Chad gathering his things and Hawk just being like, I'm not opening the fucking door for you. Wait, but how cool was it to see the outside of the sheriff station from that angle? Because sometimes, like, because we, like, when we went, like, that's kind of the view that we had. That, to me, 100% looked like somewhere I had been. Oh, yeah. It was awesome. I mean, one of the reasons why they haven't shot the exterior that way that much, because you see those mill buildings and you realize, like, if the Packard sawmill was still a going concern in the new series, like, you'd just be like, are they just right across the street from <laughs> like, are they right there? Uh, it would have been really funny if there were just like some rally cars parked out on the, on the flats out there from the dirt fish school. But um, that would have been really funny. No, it was really cool. I did. I did think to myself, I, I was standing right where Dana's standing right now. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know why I feel so apprehensive about it. I don't want any. I guess I don't want anything bad to happen to Bobby. And now that good things are happening, like, I don't know. The closer Bobby gets drawn into this drama, the more at risk he is, right? Yeah. I mean, I feel like I would honestly be okay with something bad happening to him, but like Bobby is like on a path to redeem himself. I don't think it's done yet. I think he's going to carry his father's legacy maybe in a bigger way than we were anticipating, but I'm here for what's happening right now. Yeah, I'm all for it. Uh, we should talk about the the hints but maybe we should leave that for right before we transition to the fbi hints that are dropped um let's talk about what else happens at the sheriff's department namely a dispute over chairs that was a very fun scene uh because we get lucy and andy on their little dell computers (laughs) again i saw people trying to read more significance in this scene than is just like this is the type of thinking that you get caught on when you're like all right how is little nikki gonna factor into the new series of twin peaks like it's just not gonna happen like let the chair scene be the chair scene between andy and lucy um i mean that's just very classic like andy lucy shenanigans yeah like she gets Andy to agree on the beige chair that she wants and then she orders the red one that he wants and I love that selfless I love that she just wanted to win mm-hmm. but also to make Andy happy yeah Lo- lovely stuff from Harry and Kimmy right there uh, are, are we forgetting anything else we kick Chad out of the conference room I mean we can talk about the last scene okay first of all question I wanted to ask you did the spooky techno music give you a college flashback <laughs> you mean the one the one lone dj up there whose name i didn't even yes. bother to write down okay. in the notes did that not sound like that would be playing in the su any night i don't know it was it's certainly weird i was really hoping that we were gonna get like another capper rather than just like have the credits start to play over this one dude doing a dj set and, and sure enough we did yeah it was it was kind of lame uh but we meet uh ella and chloe ella played by sky ferrera Am I saying mm-hmm. that right? And then uh, Chloe is played by uh, Carolina Wydra, who I guess was on True Blood. That's like her biggest credit today. Oh, makes um, sense. More teens in Twin Peaks when we haven't really revisited any of the teens that we've been introduced to so far. Just some more teens ravaged by drugs. Yeah, for sure. Sky Ferreira's character flips burgers, got fired still flipping burgers and has a nasty ass rash (laughs) real bad rash what a way to end an episode just on like hey you've never met this character before check out their gross rash all right here's that same synth band from brooklyn that you saw a couple episodes back bye (laughs) i mean the the drug storyline it's not big now like i think obviously our biggest storylines are the three converging investigations but it keeps coming up like it, it, its relevance is going to, I think, assert itself very soon and not yeah. just in this kind of ambient kind of background darkness. Yeah, I'm I'm wondering if it's going to be the kind of thing where they're setting these threads, maybe not so much the Richard Horn thread, because, of course, like we still need to figure out like who his parents are. But for these other teens, it might be the kind of thing where this storyline won't link up with our struggle between Cooper and the doppelganger and all of that, but it could set up like 
another tragedy in Twin Peaks that kind of like serves as like a capstone at the end of the series happening like in parallel to whatever's going to go down with like the lodges and, and Cooper and his doppelganger. I could see that where you kind of maybe end this in a similar place to where the series began. Right. right. But I could see Bob being drawn to, I think particularly like Becky, for instance, and if Becky's Bobby's daughter, like that's going to bring those two storylines closer together. Yeah, I guess one thing that we don't know is like what the whereabouts of Bob is at this point. Like, is Bob still with the doppelganger or was Bob spirited away in that moment? This could be a way to put Bob in Twin Peaks so that it's a sort of a three way difficulty between Bob, Cooper and the doppelganger. Who knows? But again, that rash, like, did we really need to zoom in on it? (laughs) I mean, apparently, because it looks real, real bad. It reminded me a lot of one of the later scenes in Requiem for a Dream. Anyone who's seen that movie knows what I'm talking about. When Chloe and Ella are talking about drugs, they make references to penguins and zebras. Well, and then there's also like the Black Lodge and the White Lodge, like good and evil. Like they're not talking about sparkle. If they're talking about drugs, I mean, you also call like someone who's wearing a tux a penguin. Like, I don't know. You call that person a zebra? (laughs) Probably not. I don't know what it's about. I see this scene as they're both on drugs. You can hear it in the Foley work, which is entirely intentional, that Ella uh, is keeps sipping from a basically empty Rainier can. These two are just like fucked up. I don't know what they're talking about. I'm not trying to like read into the clues of what these animal names mean. Well, we've established at least that that was a talking point. So that's Twin Peaks, save for, of course, the notes that Major Briggs left for Bobby to find. And the the second one, the second reveal, which prompts yet another helpful line from Hawk to Cooper's. Uh, that's the reappearance of the shred of paper from Major Briggs's listening outpost where he got the Cooper, Cooper, Cooper message. Of course, truncated to suggest two Coopers this time. Uh, thank you, Hawk, for being this like Batman-esque like Adam West era cipher for obscure hints. Uh, But we get the coordinates, we get the times and we get the dates and uh, a symbol or series of symbols. So Jack rabbit's palace is near where they're supposed to find whatever it is. Major Briggs wants them to find at a particular time, particular date. We see two triangles suggesting Two mountains. I don't want to read too much more into it. A big red dot, and then the same symbol that Cooper's doppelganger was carrying around on an ace with a sort of red crescent hovering above it. Whatever, I mean, obviously, whatever the doppelganger's on, Major Briggs was on too as well. That's why he was a target. But as to what we think is going to happen, like where this is leading the Bookhouse Boys to, I don't have like I don't have a, a a strong inclination other than like well it's in the woods of Twin Peaks so you know Black Lodge entrance is there but it's not Glastonbury Grove so what could this be I mean could it be Glastonbury Grove by another name I mean so could it's, it be could it be where Briggs disappeared on his and Cooper's camping trip I think that's more likely because Hawk's already been out to Glastonbury Grove I f- feel like if Briggs was trying to say go to the Black Lodge it would be that straightforward rather than this you know walk however many paces away Uh, this could be a way to get to the White Lodge or perhaps even a direct pathway to the pink place that we've seen twice now Uh, it could be any number of things I also just don't get an inkling from like the clues or the iconography of this note as to what that might be if it's not the Black Lodge I was wondering if you had any ideas I mean, I really don't know. This isn't like the symbol from the owl cave that we're so familiar with. I mean, the addition of red really is kind of throwing off what we know about symbology and the Black Lodge in general. But I mean, two mountains, Twin Peaks, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Like, y'all, if we have two triangles, we don't need to read that much deeper into it. It's like, it's Twin Peaks. And and we have the inkling now that that, uh, symbol the the sort of dot with the ears might be 
the monster that we've now seen twice, but haven't seen kind of in the contemporary time since it appeared in New York. So when are we going to revisit the, the deaths of uh, Sam and Tracy? Who knows? But it's linked to whatever the doppelganger is looking for. And I feel like we're definitely going to see that monster again. Oh, I would not doubt it. I mean, I was kind of disappointed we didn't pick up in White Sands. Yeah, you, you wanted to just have the sequel to part eight, like direct. Yeah. What happened to that girl? What happened to the frog in her mouth? Did that even happen in our reality? I have no idea. Honestly, it's more jarring that they didn't continue with that. A little bit. Yeah. Instead, we got this episode with like a lot of exposition, which was so not what we just received. But that brings us to our good friends with the FBI making a quick detour to Buckhorn, South Dakota. Yep. Uh, No weird plane codes on the windows this time, thankfully. Uh, Instead, we're going to get something else for fans to obsess over. So we're now bringing together the uh, Navy's investigation, the FBI investigation, and Buckhorn. And a number of developments have happened. And this is the part that feels like the most expository to me because like basically the moment they touch down in Buckhorn, we've got Detective Mackley there catching the audience and also the FBI up to speed on things that the audience has seen and then throwing in a couple new nuggets uh, for us. And it's like a lot of retreading old ground plus like, oh, we also picked up the gun that was used to kill Hastings' wife and then we put the lawyer in jail as well. And then we don't even see him in the episode. Did you feel a little like put off by how much reiteration of old information we were getting? Yeah, it's surprising because I think the show as a whole really relies on its viewers paying attention and knows that it has an attentive audience that's kind of putting together these threads. So it feels out of place for the show to like spoon feed us this information, not even from the first two seasons, but from very recently. Yeah. Like for people who were put off by the scene where Hawk and Sheriff Truman were talking about Laura's diary pages and rehashing that information, that all happened a while ago. It would be fair to say, like, you might need a little refresher, like throwing Harold Smith's name in there isn't like out of left field, I guess, in terms of like helpful refreshers. But this all happened like a month ago in viewership time. It's it's kind of weird. I do like the interaction that we get between Albert and Constance and we also get a great scene between Gordon, Tammy and Diane where Gordon decides to take a single puff off of a cigarette. You know, Diane's going to do Diane. <laughs> she doesn't care if she has company. Yeah. Uh, and Tammy's going to like lose all composure in that awkward silence, evidently, uh, which was kind of good to see. As for Diane doing Diane and, and to relate to the point you made about like this show depending on attentive viewership diane gets a text message once they t- touch down on buckhorn which has the same text as what uh cooper's doppelganger sent from sent, sent from elsewhere in south dakota but eagle-eyed fans noticed that uh the doppelganger texts that in like lowercase and diane receives it in all caps which i don't think is like a clue as to it being separate sources but it certainly could be And people noticed it. So, like, why do we need to rehash this information? And what the hell is Diane going to do about getting that text? Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems menacing knowing what we know about the relationship between those two characters. And Diane's not having a good time on this trip to begin with. Yeah. So is this just a way to get under Diane's skin? Or does Diane know, like, what the deeper significance of that is? text is i don't know i mean we will find out but tammy is really doing the heavy lifting of the investigative work here because she has to sit down with a sobbing matthew lillard Mm -hmm. emphasis on sobbing like the entire time just some great a ugly crying i do love seeing ugly crying in film and tv though because i'm an ugly crier that's real. That's human. I feel like it's something that people pigeonhole as bad acting a lot. And like Matthew Lillard was definitely playing it up. He was not aiming for like the subtle version of ugly crying at all. But it was 
you just had to sit with it. And watching the episode, I went from this is kind of darkly funny to this is just really sad to watch. And this guy's clearly like losing his uh, composure that we saw him like grappling onto just in, in showtime a couple days earlier, having been in, in jail this time. And then this strange curiosity, like coming over me as he's describing uh, his experience in the zone and how moving it was for him. It's ugly crying that also moves through, I feel like a couple different like emotional states in it ending of course. And just like complete blubbering about wanting to go to the Bahamas and going scuba diving. It felt very twin peaks of an episode that felt the almost, I'd say the most like old twin peaks of any we've had thus far that extended sitting with, you know, this person's raw emotion felt the most twin peaks to me no i completely agree and it's interesting that matthew lillard tweeted that he uh did it in two takes so it wasn't as though he like had it wasn't as though he had a bunch of tries or was even doing this in like a couple of different pieces it sounds like he like sat down and did the crying monologue like full stop both times yeah whether or not you think it was kind of tacky and i would disagree with that you gotta respect it if you only did it in two takes like it was a lot of dialogue to get through too yeah i mean that's some dana ashbrook level crying yeah giving dana a run for his money but again this scene is also fairly expository it's filling us in on things that we're not seeing depicted on screen uh both in terms of Hastings visit to the zone but also just this clue that surfaced in the Buckhorn investigation that we're just now being introduced to which is that Hastings has had this blog for the longest time that he ran with Ruth Davenport about their search for the zone and I knew when they mentioned it it's like if they're gonna do the alternate reality game thing and have a tie-in website this is it and sure enough there's a fucking GeoCities ass web ring website set up uh, that is supposed to be Bill Hastings' website. What do you think about this, like, meta story move that they're doing? Okay, I know you don't like it. <laughs> I have my reservations. I think the site, like, looks fucking pitch perfect. I don't think they, like, phoned it in, and the audio files and video files that are hidden on it are appropriately spooky and weird. I also kind of like that it's not that deep and it doesn't seem to be setting up other clues on its surface. It's an ad for the soundtracks. I kind of respect Fair. it if, it's, if that's all it is, is like a little flavor thing that's advertising the soundtracks, but it is almost a touch too lost, I feel like. I love this shit. I can't even pretend I don't love this shit because I do love this shit. <laughs> I mean, this was the kind of stuff that they did, and here we are again, as always, talking about Lost on this show, but this is the stuff that they yeah. would scatter through with each season. Like, each season would have its kind of, you know, yeah. internet-bound uh, storyline that they would tell through, like, alternate reality game stuff that ultimately had no real impact on the show and didn't really add that much to the lore either. And a lot of the link outs, I mean, I think all the link outs on the site are to other people's wealth planet, sci-fi yes. conspiracy type stuff, which just seems like maybe Mark Frost giving his like bibliography for some of the, the space stuff that he wanted to wedge into the secret 100%. histories, which is, which is neat, but I don't know if it really like if this somehow proves to be a crucial thing to, stitch together like a, a cohesive theory of what's going on say with what we saw in part eight like i don't i don't dig that because if it actually helps stitch together a cohesive theory that's better than the lost approach right which i contend didn't add that much but it's still something outside of the show and yeah, as this like weird little toss off that then shouldn't have that much importance placed on it for viewers yeah, I fully agree. I mean, we do live in an era where, like, it's pretty fair assumption that most people who watch this show do have the internet, which maybe wasn't as fair, fair of an assumption when Lost started doing that. So, I mean, I wonder what the implications would be if this other contributor who's listed on the website, Heinrich um, Bigel, 
I wonder what the implications would be if he does turn up later in the series or becomes canon or this like information from the website is leveraged in some way. Yeah. Is that a new character? My gut reaction was maybe that's just like Ruth Davenport's like nom de plume or whatever. But if this other character surfaces, like then this website does take on like another level of importance. And then is it not awesome that it's also an ad for the soundtracks? Like, I, I'm not sure. Um, I, I don't want that to get spoiled. I guess a good way to put it is that, like, I wouldn't want this to be like the extended universe, like Dharma initiative equivalent of Twin Peaks. Like, I, I would like Twin Peaks to stay close to the core that it's presented in the show, which I feel like we just got off of doing the secret diary. Like, that stayed core to Laura's character. And I'm willing to give a little more leeway to the secret history because of how much work and care was put into assembling like the narrative that that presents. But like, I don't want little one-off like tie in websites to become like crucial keys to understanding the mystery. I guess I want that to be depicted on screen. Yeah. I mean, that would be my guess is like if, that information does become relevant it's going to be reiterated in a way that's intelligible for tv only viewers but i mean anything could happen like this is kind of treading some new ground and it's like i don't know it's like an interactive like intertextual like piece of the internet like obviously i love this shit i guess i'll also say this if they want to go like alternate reality game the expectation for me is, I guess, pretty fucking high because then I want them to, I want it to be like the best fucking example of that, like ever, right? Because Twin yeah. Peaks well, and it changed also feels television. A little, it feels a little like too timely if they're doing alternate realities or like multiverse stuff. Right. It's like that's everywhere now. It's it's everywhere, both in in a plot sense and the mechanism of like having these websites and stuff that bleed into you know our reality and and these games for viewers to play along with. Like it's been done for over a decade now. And if Twin yeah. Peaks wants to like fully uh, immerse itself in that, like it should do it better than anybody else has. Because otherwise, it's this weird like vestigial part right. of the narrative that they're weaving. Yeah, and I feel like it would ultimately feel dated. Yeah, dated is something they're going for in the design of that website, but it shouldn't be like the actual impact of what they're they're doing with this stuff that's outside of the work itself. Yeah. That's my thoughts on it. If they take it further, I just want it to be good. I don't want it to be like a fan service thing. It's a cool little news. If they want to invest more, they should invest like a lot more because I would love to see what David Lynch would do with like, a fucking hypertext story. Yeah. Very fun. Did we miss anything else? I mean, I feel like we got everything. It feels like a lot happens in this episode, but like you said, there's a lot of reiteration. There's a lot of expositional conversations that happen. Um, it feels like now all three investigations are zeroing in on the same point. And we still have all these other hanging plot threads like Becky, like the Mitchum brothers, that we have yet to resolve. And and it, in those two cases, particularly haven't seen come up since they were introduced. So we're halfway through. There's a lot of ground to cover, but it's still more episodes than we even got in the first season of Twin Peaks itself. It's still nine hours of television as opposed to eight. So, yeah, that's very true. I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, we, we, we've got a lot of time for stuff to happen. Yeah. Will we see our friends in White Sands again? Who knows? I'm willing to bet we will. I think it would be cool to like, I don't know, part 12 or 13. You get like another like 15 minutes of like, I think this is going to be a normal episode. And like, nope, that's definitely possible. Yeah. Or maybe we'll just start out an episode in White Sands. Who knows? Anything could happen. I just hope at this point it's not setting up threads like teens with rashes and then leaving them to dangle for too long because there's not that much time, I guess. For that stuff i don't think so anyway this has been twin peaks peaks thank you for joining us we will of course be back for part 10 and i'm gonna have to take a break from the internet after they air part 10 early at san diego comic-con on friday night i'm not happy Ooh, about that yikes so if you hear any spoilers for part 10 
don't you fucking dare at me on Twitter at Matthew Olson, M-A-T-H-E-W-O-L-S-O-N. I would not appreciate that. And don't at the Twin Peaks Peaks account on Twitter with any spoilers either. Wait until Sunday for that. And let's see what else. I do another podcast. It's called Can You Get to That? I make it with my friend Caitlin Best. We are going to have a new episode on Kesha. It's a Wikipedia racing podcast. It's funny. We shoot the shit. Check it out. It's uh, at get to that on Twitter or can you get to that on iTunes? Easy to find that way. As for us, we're on iTunes. That's how most of our listeners are downloading us. And it would be really great if you could leave us a rating and a review on there. It helps other people find the show. We're happy that you stuck with us. Our last month was the best month we've had as a podcast in terms of like all the statistics and stuff. And I don't know. I feel really grateful that people are uh, happy to be listening to us as we go through new Twin Peaks. It means a lot. And it's like why I sit down in front of the microphone with my dear friend Ashley Brandt every week to talk about my dumb theories and takes on the show. Because you people seem to like them. Yeah. Yeah. And if you've enjoyed listening to me talk, you can always listen to the K-Hole, a Kardashian podcast, which is also available on iTunes. Um, I teased in our Secret Diary episode that Brooke Marine and I were going to be talking about the recent uh, Black China and Rob news. We have not done that quite yet because events are still unfolding. So you can look forward to that with some, with the full scope, the court proceedings, the return of Robert Shapiro. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, so look forward to that and our coverage of the life of Kylie coming up in August. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ashley Brandt. There's a silent D in there. I hope you find it. <laughs> it's crucial. You won't find her otherwise. Uh, and and for the, the people who like to check us out on Facebook, that's same deal. Twin Peaks Peaks on Facebook. Easy to find. We don't post too much there. So if you want the, the best, I don't know, spicy memes from us, uh, Ashley uploaded a really great video uh, mashing up part eight with uh, a certain little song that is near and dear to many Twin Peaks fans hearts. Uh, on the Twitter page so again that's probably the best place to find us and of course want to shout out Cole Hamilton for doing our amazing cover art uh, that's C-O-L-L Hamilton's.com for his stuff or you can find him on Twitter it's at C far enough again can't speak high enough of our super cool cover art courtesy of Cole I think that's all the plugs we gotta do I think that's it so question is fuck aha <laughs> Let me see if I have something in my notes that I was making when I was watching. Oh, I know what I'm going to do. Perfect. What is it? Okay. Can you alter this and make it sound weird? I I can certainly see. Okay. I am not your foot.